0: Welcome to the Homer Hargrove podcast. I am glad you're here with us today. Today, we are going to talk about seven lessons from how I started in ministry. And I want us to to have this big thought at the beginning that when we learn from someone else's story and their experiences, it catapults you forward if you apply the lessons that you learned. And with that being said, I'm going to share my own story. I hope that it's helpful and edifying for you at whatever point of journey you're at. So to start off, um, I broke it down to seven lessons, seven lessons. The first lesson I want to share is the moment of desperation. For anyone that doesn't know, I was not raised in church, but there was a moment where my life changed forever, and that was my desperation moment. It was when, uh, it's how desperation led me to change. And I find that no matter where you're at, for me, it was just simply faith, but no matter where you're at, when you get to a point that you're desperate enough that you look for change is when you experience change. For me, I I was just completely lost in a really dark place. And I was desperate for for some type of change. And I found that in Christ. It it was before I gave my life to Christ, I was a violent person, did a lot of drugs and alcohol, I was uh, very addicted to that kind of life. And it was just leading me down a really hurtful path. But In a moment of desperation, I opened a Bible, and the bookmark was on Psalm 23. It's the very first scripture I ever read. Though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will fear no evil. And it started me on my journey of a changed life. Now, in ministry or whatever organization you're a part of, that is, in a sense, similar. You're just desperate for some hope. You're desperate for a light in a dark situation, when you're desperate enough, when you're willing to admit that you need change, you can find it. Now, that led me into eventually, I gave my life to Christ, just reading the Bible at the table by myself. And uh, a couple months later, I finally got invited to a church. And once I started going to church, attending church, and uh, I, I quickly, the more I grew closer to Christ, the more His uh, he changed me. My my heart changed. And the more that I knew him, the more that I wanted to show him. And so servanthood, this is the second lesson, servanthood quickly turned into ministry. I mean, I was volunteering for everything. I mean, I even volunteered for a parade. I don't even like parades. I don't even know why people do parades. But I was just volunteering for for anything that I could. And the more that I served, the more that the more that I was uh finding that there is not a shortage of need just within the church, but within the city, within the world, there is always a need. And for me, as I as I continue to volunteer and and found those needs, the more, that, the more I volunteered for just a need, the clearer it became of which need I was called into, which need I was called for. And I think that's one of the, the biggest stepping stones of entering into ministry is finding your calling. And everything is important. Let's make that clear. Every ministry is important. But there are certain ministries that just burden you, that, that you could even say bother you. Like some people, it's foster care. Like they they are almost appalled at the people that do not appreciate the need for foster care as much as they do. And see, that that is like a calling. You feel this burden on your heart. And if you don't know what that is, you need to simply volunteer more. You need to serve in a wide capacity, in a wide number of areas, and you will find out what really pulls on your heart. Number three, this is... The hands-on experience. Hands-on experience was the best way to learn how to do ministry. I think it's kind of funny how often people will go to Christian school, Bible college, seminary, whatever, and spend a year, two, three, four years, even longer, of learning how to do ministry without ever doing ministry. I remember at one point when uh, I had a friend of mine, that had went off to a Bible college, and I had just kind of uh, I, I went to a one year school and then started doing ministry. And they went for several years, and by the time they had got out, the amount of experience that I had gained from simply doing hands on work seemed uh, seemed to have put me ahead to where he was at, uh, just from going to school. And, and again, I'm not knocking school. School is important. School's you know great but there's nothing like having hands-on experience. And and for me, the the ministry school that I went to is more like an internship, but it's a one-year program. And they had classes, yes, but predominantly it was hands-on experience. They would have us go to middle schools and high schools to lead Christian clubs. And it was a very uh, uh, ownership style uh, club. Like I had to go and find the kids to be in my group. They could go to any group they wanted if they wanted to go, but I had to go and convince them, talk to them, connect with them to get to go to my group. And so it it really sh- it really helped shape my idea of ministry, my my hands on experience, because when my group was small, it reflected the the hands on work that I had a part of it. And so again, hands-on ministry. If you don't know where to start, start serving. Once you start feeling that calling on your heart and you think, where do I go now? How do I figure this out? Yes, you could go to school, but see where you can volunteer, where you could serve now in ministry. What's amazing about about this aspect is like the simple idea is that the more that I practice talking to people about Jesus, the better I became at doing it. I wouldn't just practice ministry in this, this confined space of time of when they would allow me to. But I would, I would do additional things. There would be times I would go to the mall and I would just start cold witnessing to people. I would just walk up to strangers and start asking them if they knew who Jesus was or if they believed that they were going to go to heaven or hell. And see, just doing just kind of like random acts of ministry or witnessing, the, the more that I did it, the, the better I got at it. And what's amazing about this is that you don't need anyone's permission to do good. You don't need anyone's permission to share the gospel. You you don't need an overseer. You don't need a leader. You could literally just go out and start sharing the gospel with someone. Uh you could start in your workplace, you could start in your school, you could start wherever you're at. But I would encourage you that this is a, a great space to get the feel of what ministry is like. Go go asking people if you could just simply pray for them you know that that's a meaningful thing create opportunities of of which ministry can happen you don't need anyone's permission to do that get creative and and just take ownership of in knowing that you are getting experience if you feel like you didn't bring anybody to Christ you still got experience of how to witness to people and again i promise you the more that you practice the better you'll get at it number 4 you you must learn that showing up consistently is, is what promoted me to a place of positional authority. See, the difference between being a minister and being a minister of positional authority is that that authority was given to you. It's, it's a label a, a position. And for me, it was when I became a youth pastor. And it's funny that when I became a youth pastor is really that I just kept showing up to, to I, I just continually showed up to set up chairs And I I think I outlasted like three different youth directors, maybe even more, but they they went through youth director after youth director. until finally, I was the one that kept showing up. They're like, well, I guess let's give this guy a shot. (laughs) And simply showing up is what promoted me to that place of ministry position. And if you could grasp 80% of success in anything, not just ministry, but even relationships and parenting, school, work, anything. 80% 80% of success is simply showing up. If you just show up to it, you'll be surprised of of how much can happen if you just consistently show up. People are given raises and promotions just because they showed up and the other person didn't. And the other 20% of how do you, you know, how do you get 100% success? The other 20% is what you do while you're there. That's a part that that takes ambition, that creativity, that initiative that integrity, but it it, it could be overwhelming if you try to focus on that instead. And I think that most people they try to focus on that aspect, but then they can't show up anyway, and so it's worthless. I don't know how many times even me as a youth pastor, I'd have people that wanted to become a youth leader. They wanted to have a positional authority. And they projected that twenty percent. Oh, I have great ideas. I have this, uh, uh, this initiative, this, this, that, and the other. And they had all these creative ideas. And I would just say, okay, can you can you show up to help set up chairs? And I would just simply ask them to show up. And they would last like three weeks, if that, before they gave up. And they they would have been able to achieve their their desire of this place of positional authority, but because they never showed up, it didn't matter how good their ideas were. They couldn't show up to set up chairs. How can I trust them with something big if I couldn't trust them with something small? Do not despise small beginnings. Small beginnings happen by showing up. Now here's the fifth lesson from my story is honestly clear, simple, and obtainable vision is what made us successful in early ministry. And I'm talking about like super simple vision. And when we're youth pastors, my goal as a youth pastor was for students to be saved and connected to church after they finished high school. It it was as simple as that. I wanted them to be saved and connected to church after they finished high school. And even as, as small as our church was, we would have anytime that we did like a, say a lock-in or we would take a, a a group of students to a, an out of town conference. I remember one of the last conferences uh, we went to was like the gateway student conference. And our church at the time was like, probably about size of 300 it was a small town, but it was a, you know, big church for a small town, but it, it's not necessarily significant. And if you look at the the rest of the world, 300 is not a big number, but for that 300 member church with, without any uh, support from the church where they didn't fund us, we had to fundraise everything ourselves. We were able to fill an entire bus of students. I'm talking about uh, 50 plus kids without any hired staff going with us. We, we, uh, we all took these 50 plus kids, volunteers only to this conference and we did that consecutively, year after year, and it was with new groups of kids each time. And when we were there, we were one of the biggest groups, and we we were on a budget. I'm talking about like budget, budget. <laughs> and, and when we were renting a bus, it's like bus names that you uh, liners that you've never even heard of. And when we would be waiting for our bus to pull up, I would see a group of uh, you know less than ten kids. Pulling uh getting unloading and loading up into a Mercedes van paid for by the church. And those kids would join our group when we were just doing like activities and games when we were waiting for the service to start. It was before I knew it, we were playing like simple games. I'm like, wait a minute, who are you? Like, oh well, I don't know where my youth bachelor is. Like, go find him, get out of it. I'm just joking, but it's like, man, I'm here I am working and being a youth bachelor for these kids. I don't even a part of my group. But it's because we we created such an atmosphere because our vision was so clear. We we were able to have success after success after success in our ministry because our vision was clear, it was simple, and it was truly obtainable. It gave us a clear direction of how we operated and how we connected to young people. Now, we understand that. That leads us to number six for the lessons from how I started ministry. Number six I, I would say that spiritual devotion is what made me sensitive enough to know what our next steps were. It's spiritual devotion. Now, spiritual devotion often has a lot of emphasis. Like a lot of people talk about it, but a lot, hardly anyone does it. I, I'm always surprised at the amount of spiritual devotion other ministers have. I mean, it's it's it, it's very surprising of how little spiritual devotion uh, ministers practice. And again, we preach a lot about it, but at the end of the day, we as ministers, we're we're somewhat ordinary people too. And it is just as hard for us, especially if you're uh, just starting out in ministry, you're talking about being bivocational, especially if you have a a young family or you're just starting to try to start your family. You're so busy And ministry is often a volunteer role for us at the beginning, that spiritual devotion, it's just hard to come by when you have your whole day, when you have all your other responsibilities. But spiritual devotion is what will make you spiritual enough, sensitive enough to know what your next steps are. It just gives clarity to to just this this inner well, that, who God is, being connected to His Holy Spirit, it's like you get the the hidden secrets. Just like the Bible says that He He will tell you, show you mysteries. <laughs> That's really what the. So often people are asking, I just don't know what God wants me to do next. Well, in spiritual devotion, you'll find out. And and I'm not talking about just praying three times and and saying, God, tell me what to do next, and then drawing a blank. I'm talking about some fasting, some, some discipline time of worship, even for us when it came to even starting our church now, uh, we, we did a 21-day fast. We do it every, me and my wife, we do it every year. We did a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year 2016. And I took my fast really serious. Anyone that does annual fast, there's years where you don't take it as serious, and then there's years where you're really trying to press in. And I was pressing in. I mean, I was denying myself even things that were allowed on my fast. I was like, I'm getting too used to this. Now I'd start not eating beans or something. And the day after that fast, that year God spoke to me about starting a church in San Antonio before that point and never even preconceived the idea of moving back to San Antonio for any reason. And it was just the spiritual connection, the spiritual devotion that led to, for me to be sensitive what those next steps were. And the same goes for even just practical aspects of ministry. I'm talking about even what is our next step as a ministry, as a church, even this year for our church, Just having this time of 21 days of fasting and prayer, I feel like it gives clarity of where we're going next as a church. You, as a minister, you must take the importance of spiritual devotion. And in this idea, I would suggest that when you plan your next steps out of emotion instead of devotion, you will only hurt yourself and people around you. Most church plants are derived from an emotional response from. Toxic leadership, or even just a disagreement with leadership. I don't know how many church splits have happened out of emotional response rather than a spiritual response. Emotion, doesn't last like devotion does. And when you just make decisions based off of your emotions, you will only hurt yourself in the end. You will stunt your growth and you'll end up injuring people around you. I think that this is probably, we could say the same for even just like with relationships, even outside of ministry, with our workplaces. It's kind of one of those universal principles that when you make a decision out of emotion, it it will most likely hurt you in the end. We, we need to strive for devotion and that spiritual connection to lead us into our next steps. Now, finally, number seven, grit and aspiration is how we experience growth then and now a big part of ministry is spiritual, just like I keep saying. But the uh, another very neglected part is the practical work and grit of ministry, uh, It's like the idea of even just doing social media. I don't think there's very many pastors or ministers that are necessarily excited about social media uh, ministry, but it it just takes a lot of work. Like uh, it took me six hours just to plan a week's worth of content for our church. That's a long time just for social media content. But that work is gritty and just like you know simply showing up for people like going and praying for someone in the hospital when you're busy that is grit it takes that hard work of 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 showing up but then you go into the practical side of even like planning your service preparing your message a lot of message preparation is gritty work and it, being a, an organized minister being a hardworking minister, it, it all goes into this grit and aspiration. And I think it reflects within ministry when it, it shows um how how much work we are putting in. We we see it on Sunday. Even when we just started out in our apartment, I mean that was not necessarily exciting for me to have church in an apartment. And every time we had people show up, it's like these people are crazy. I would never go to an apartment church. But the reason people kept coming back is because we put a lot of work into making it excellent. I mean, we, we moved things around just in our little apartment to make it specifically set up for Sunday morning. I prepared slides, even if it was just 18 people, I'll prepare scriptures and slides and put it on our TV. You know, it, it looked professional, it looked excellent. We prepared food and snacks and coffee, even for the kids. We, we only had like three kids sometimes. We prepared a whole lesson for them. See, all of that took work and grit, but because it this excellence was seen, people kept coming back and we continued to grow. And what I've found, I'm like a part of different like Facebook groups. Um, and one of them is is uh, uh, Pastors of Small Churches Facebook group. And I, I saw this the other day and I, all I could think was, that is why you're a pastor of a small church. And someone, uh, they were complaining about how, Uh, their church wasn't growing and saying that people blame the pastor for it. And now look, I'm a pastor. I'm not trying to throw shade at pastors. We work really hard. And no matter what you do, even if you're only doing spiritual stuff, it's a lot of work. But I saw one of the comments and it said, shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. And all I could think is what a cop-out. What a cop-out. When we, if we were to project that the only reason we're not growing, it's not my fault it's our church's fault. It's the people's fault because shepherds don't produce sheep. Only sheep produce sheep. That is such uh that's just asinine to me. It, it is impractical. And when you start making excuses for yourself of, of why you're not growing, you will not see growth. See that, that statement shucks off responsibility. It deflects all responsibility. I'll tell you what, leaders produce leaders. And if, if, if you cannot lead your people to witness, it's probably because you're not witnessing. When I project that, uh, if I'm trying to project evangelism to our church, I better be out there witnessing the gospel message of Jesus to somebody. I should be, if I want to lead our people into generosity, I better be behaving generously. I should be having acts of generosity myself. I have to set the example as a leader. And any time that you try to deflect responsibility, you will not experience growth. You need to take ownership of what God has made you the steward of. We use all these fancy words when it comes to like collecting an offering. You're a steward of that money and you need to uh, trust God with it. But what about just the simple aspects of being a steward of your ministry, a steward of the body man of who you are, being a witness of Christ and how God has called you to some type of ministry or leadership. You're a steward of that. We need to take it serious and be good stewards by being And uh, by taking some grit. We need to be gritty in how we behave and how we lead and how we organize, how we treat excellence, even how we pray. We need to make some gritty prayers. We should be leading our people of how to pray in a gritty way instead of a pretty way. And when you allow yourself to lead then it unlocks this, this gateway of aspiration. Then you can your, your dreams don't just die up because it's everybody else's fault. Then you realize that you have somewhat of this control when it comes to growth. And, and it's through this door of aspiration of, of wanting to see change and wanting to see growth. And if you feel stuck and you feel like you, you've lost hope, you've lost aspiration, I would suggest... Going back through these steps, go all the way back to where we started. And that's desperation. When you're desperate enough for growth and change, you'll start making changes in yourself to find it. And all that being said, I want to close out on these takeaways from from these lessons of how I started. One, I want you to ask yourself, what stage of ministry or leadership are you currently in? Answer this question. Number two, what is it that you should focus doing right now? Clear your head, stop thinking about the, uh, the hundred things you need to do, and just focus on what one thing should you focus on right now. And number three, this, this requires teamwork. Ask someone close to you within your ministry or organization to sit down and discuss lessons learned from your own story, from your own past. Whether it's someone that works with you, that would be best. But if if you're, you know, a lone wolf, you don't got anyone else, you're just doing it. Get someone that's close to you, that is seeing you along the way, whether it's a spouse or whether it's a very close friend or a mentor, ask someone close to sit down and discuss lessons learned from your own past. All that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of our podcast today. I hope this the show is edifying for you and your faith and your place in leadership with all that have a good life